1: Thank you for listening to 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. We share the stories of people connected to Vietnam. My name is Annie and I'm your host today. I've been living in Vietnam since 2017. My parents are Vietnamese, but I grew up and I was born in Hungary. This is an exciting moment for me to be featured on a Vietnam podcast as a guest host. Today, I've got someone really special, a podcaster, a teacher, a journalism graduate, and he has over- 350, almost 400 episodes on his podcast, and he just started a year ago. So welcome, Connor Kelly. Hi, Connor. How are
2: you? How are you? I'm good. I'm very excited for this.
1: I'm excited too. Today, we will talk about mental health, self-development, and overcoming challenges. And I'm pretty sure you've got a lot to share. And the most important and the most wanted one for me is getting things done. I love getting things done. So, yeah. Let's start. Uh, so Connor, can you introduce a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah, sure. I, I guess to start with really, I'm from the UK initially, despite being born in the Netherlands, Irish passport. So there's a, there's a few mixes, but I grew up primarily in England from the ages of three until 22, 21 actually just about. And then it got to July, 2019, July the 30th, and I made my move to Vietnam. And it was just going to be an eight month thing, you know, spending eight months abroad and trying to discover something. And it's now turned into almost three years, going on four. So it's been a a wild journey, but that's how it's all transpired.
1: That is amazing. And I just want to know, like, why Vietnam? I mean, it could have been Bali, it could have been the Netherlands if you were born there. So what brought you to Vietnam?
2: To be honest with you, I was doing a TEFL course to teach English abroad and went on the website. And I had no direction. All I wanted was a completely foreign, different environment. So the first place that was going to give me an opportunity, I would take it, if they gave me accommodation. Because moving abroad for the first time, I wanted a house. I wanted something that would make me settle and make the process much easier. So Vietnam was the first place to pop up, gave me the job, gave me the accommodation. I researched for about two minutes and thought, yeah, why don't I just get this done? Why don't I just take the first country that comes up? Vietnam sounds fine, Let's go, and the rest is history. Suddenly, I booked the flight and notarized my documents, and yeah, July 2019. Here we go.
1: That is amazing. You know, it's really motivating for someone who might have not made that move in their life. And just to side, like to go back a little bit, like what triggered you to kind of like explore a very new environment?
2: That's a good question. I think I'll have to give my dad a shout out because I might have told you he does. 15 countries a year I would say he he travels extensively and so therefore I've always had that influence that the world is huge genuinely huge go and explore it and I, I remember throughout high school thinking if I want to achieve something it's got to be to live abroad and live in a different environment and really test myself and so I thought I'm 21 now I have no responsibilities no pressure this is the perfect time and if I don't actually do it now I could be 10 years in the future still wishing I made that move rather than just effing doing it. I don't know if you can swear on here. I'm not either. (laughs) Rather than just bloody doing it and getting it done. So it wasn't as easy as that. I had a lot of challenges, mainly mental, to overcome before doing it. But once I had realized it was the best route possible, that's the avenue I took. And yeah, I ended up just applying, exploring, and Vietnam came into the equation. Here we are.
1: That's cool. I hope all the listeners are getting inspired by this story, even though it's just like the first 10 minutes of the podcast. And I just want to help the audience understand, like, how did you go from journalism to podcasting? Because shared with us at the beginning of the podcast that you were a journalism graduate, and we know that you have a lot of podcast episodes going on on Comeback. So yeah, tell us about that.
2: How did journalism go into podcasting? Exactly. Right. I think they're very linked. I think you can definitely interlink the two. Where a journalist, I guess a traditional journalism interview, will be to find somebody, find out what they do, why they do it, share their piece on it, etc. Podcasting's basically the same. The key difference is that if you're a journalist, you're generally trying to get a certain angle. Like your corporation or whoever you work for will want you to get a soundbite or a certain piece out of the interviewee. Where, say, you would want them to say something controversial then you get clicks, then you get things. So I interview, let's say X, he says, I don't like my ex-wife, boo. There you go. You've got your soundbite. You only have seven minutes. So you're almost trying to prod and provoke and try and get a reaction. A podcast is say an hour, two hours, however long you want it to be talking about whatever you like. So it's a more, it's a more in-depth and a more authentic method of getting that conversation out of them. So I think they can be linked, to be honest with you. And from studying journalism, even though I didn't study very well, probably an example of how not to do a journalism degree in terms of my attendance and my university experience was a bit crazy, which I'm sure we'll go on to. But I had that background. I had that knowledge. I had that insight into how to do an interview, what to say, what to do. I had that interest. So podcasting was almost second nature. And I remember after a few months or a year in Vietnam, again, I'm probably answering a future question. Being at a huge loose end kind of made me wise up and realize what should I actually be doing when I have all the capabilities? The only thing holding it back is me. Let's just go for it. So that's I felt like journalism and podcasting were very linked. I feel like it's a very natural progression for me to follow.
1: That's amazing, Connor. I just love how driven you've become over the, the story. And to really, even though we said, and I repeat, like you are not the best student in journalism, you still made something out of it and you created something so unique. And I am madly impressed how driven you are when it comes to podcasting as a friend of yours and also as an outsider. And yeah, please tell me about like the whole comeback. Like what is the name? I know CK is Carter Kelly, everyone, but please tell us more like why comeback?
2: I think the ethos around comeback was that I had to make a couple of comebacks in my own life. For example, I remember sometimes thinking, one, mainly when I was 19 at uni, my second year, when shit hit the fan, (laughs) I can't say a better phrase, when I really wasn't doing so well. And probably the start of my second year in Vietnam, after I'd done a year here, being really lost. And I'm not talking just slightly lost on the sat-nav and needing to turn left. I'm talking middle of the desert, absolutely nowhere and not having any direction where or what anything is and realising I need to seriously wake up because if I don't wake up, this could turn really nasty really soon. So I need to seriously wise up. So in doing that, I thought a comeback is great. We all love a comeback, whether it be a movie, whether it be a sporting story, whether it be a book. We're always looking for that factor of someone is down, someone's really you know, struggling and then they come back. So that's why I thought, we're, we've all faced that. Almost everyone you meet, if not everyone, will have faced some kind of challenge that they had to come back from. And when I was really settling on this project, it was 2020. COVID. Everyone has to come back from COVID. Whether it affected you slightly or whether it affected you as in you lost your house and everything else, you will have been affected. This can apply to almost everyone. And I don't have a niche with the people I interview because... I don't want to be drawn on a specific angle where I have to disqualify loads of people. I would talk to anyone from any culture, background, race, religion, age, whatever, just because I find so many people interesting. So that's why I thought everyone, if I can choose like a niche that can include both my name, so CK, can include a certain theme like coming back from adversity, but can include everyone, and I'm talking everyone, this would be the one, coming back from adversity, the comeback. So that's why I did it
1: the come back i love it like the whole brand story that you have is amazing i just love the how inclusive you are is that from a marketer's perspective like i have to think with topics and niche all the time but looking at your podcast is that like everyone is included and it's really rare to see something like this nowadays because everybody's niching down everybody's like targeting another person or like a very specific group of people and yeah and the whole story of like coming back from an adversity that, that is really deep. So could you share like one of the most significant comebacks that you had personally?
2: Mm, here we go. I'd say when I was 19 at uni, my second year, a lot of things were just out of control where I really felt like there was nothing I could ever do to make this situation I had better. I had quite bad anxiety and depression. I wasn't eating well. I wasn't sleeping well. And I genuinely thought I am fucked. I am screwed. And I can't see myself coming back here. So I got heavily suicidal, was genuinely like cowing down for weeks and weeks thinking, right, this is it, can't live anymore and blah, blah, blah. Kind of told those around me who didn't really like that factor, of course, thank goodness. And upon hindsight, I wasn't thinking straight because I was in this real, really nihilistic mindset, which looking back, I mean, I kind of, occasionally I felt embarrassed. I thought, whoa, how did it get that bad? But now I look from a different perspective and think, It got that bad and you came back. Like, unfortunately, some people don't come back from that. The second one is probably the start of my second year in Vietnam. Let's go back to October, November 2020. I remember thinking, I'm in this huge, fast, vibrant, bustling, fun city. I've got nothing to do because I'm not putting myself out there. I don't know who to turn to. I'm completely lost. There's a pandemic going on. What am I doing? I know I'm better than this, but I'm not showing it. What the fuck is going on? And You know, to be honest, what I had to do was really, on both occasions, put the mirror on myself and think, okay, what is causing this? Now, a lot of it is probably like deep-rooted depression and anxiety. Not my fault. But it is my responsibility. Regardless of, you know, I can blame the fact that it's a chemical imbalance or the fact it's genetic, whatever, whatever the actual reason is, it probably doesn't matter. I was focusing more on why rather than, well, how can you fix it? It's almost like, for example... Your house is burning down and you just sit there thinking, oh, well, why did it go in that room and why not that room rather than just getting something and extinguishing it out? So I had to make that adjustment. And to do that, I had to think, right, what will make me come out of this situation? What can I actually actively do to do this? And so I looked at my lifestyle. I looked at who in both situations I was around. I looked at what I was doing. I looked at what content I was consuming. And I really turned it and thought, am I giving myself the best fighting chance on both occasions? Am I eating well? Am I exercising well? Am I doing the right things that will benefit me, both creatively, professionally, etc.? And both answers were very, very hard. I mean, they were really like sobering when I turned the mirror up and thought, I am really not going to do myself justice. And then it hit me, if I continue this trajectory, the next two or three years will still be the same. There will be absolutely nothing to show for it. And my biggest fear was coming to Vietnam, experiencing this new culture and going home in three years and realizing I didn't actually do anything. And like that really hit me that if I carry on my Vietnam journey, I probably couldn't call it a success. So I need to make some kind of impact so that on both occasions, I really had to channel that kind of inner spirit and really work out what was driving me and what could help me. Now, people did help me along the way. I've been very lucky. I've had a lot of kind influences. But I did have to hold it up and think, I'm the only one who's going to really change this. Let's get to it. And it wasn't quite as, I guess, easy as I'm making it out now. I'm giving it the Hollywood ending of, I realised I was screwed and I just came back. There was a lot of peaks and troughs along that comeback journey. It was a very, very, very bumpy road both times. But I don't think I'd change it. I really don't. I think with the lessons, the trajectory, the amount of things that happened in between, I think it was necessary and I don't want to do that again. So I think I've learned the lessons that I think it's a mistake is only a mistake if it's not repeated twice. So if I've done like the hard work and made the comebacks now, I've got more of an awareness of what will work for me and what won't. So that's where it's going to go. But they're my main comebacks.
1: That is amazing. And just to like recap to some people listening here is that it's only you can change it. I just love how you've come back from both situations, and we touched on, you mentioned depression, anxiety, something that almost all listeners and myself included relate to, and we will go back and elaborate more on those two topics is, again, I just want to like restate like how inspiring it is to like be in such a hard situation and you could still like turn the mirror and say like, whoa, what the hell am I doing? And when you mentioned like lifestyle changes, diet and exercise, and the content you're consuming. And uh, I think for the listeners, it would be great if you can like break it down and then help people to kind of turn their mirror too, because sometimes we are all in like rough patches. And uh, my question is that, what did you start with first? Like, so we are in this really hard situation. I mean, I went through hard things too, and some of our listeners probably did. What was the first thing that you changed that, that you like running out from the burning house or just picking things up? What, the, what were the first things that you picked up?
2: That is a very good question. And I don't think anyone's ever asked me about the very first thing I did in coming back. So I'm delighted you have. I think at university, it was speak to people and just be completely open. So I knew that this is my responsibility. Everyone is aware of this now. Let me actually have those conversations, whether it be, hey, mate, I'm not coming out tonight, not because I used to make excuses. So if I wasn't going out on a night out, it it was someone's birthday tomorrow, or it was this event, I'd make something up. I'd just say, and it was so much better because I was honest, A, honest, and B, open and upfront. I'd say, yep, can't come out today, struggling with depression. I'll be all right tomorrow. Boom. I thought, that's quite liberating. There was that. And I remember the Vietnam one. I just thought, back to basics, like trying foods that you haven't done before read a book that you haven't done before, go to sleep at a normal time, try something every day that you wouldn't usually do. Now, I know that sounds weird because say, for example, if you would never tried Thai food and you try Thai food, that's going to solve your problems. No, it won't. But it's a small step. It's a novelty. So you're almost changing your brain chemistry. When you do the same thing over and over and over, your brain almost... Rep- repeat it on habit and you realize, for example, from a depressed point of view, you just become even more depressed day after day. Whilst if you do little things to give yourself evidence and belief that you can actually make changes, that's the key. So I remember going to bed really early for the first couple of weeks. And I'm talking like 9pm, genuinely go back to like when I was a child and doing my stretches, drinking herbal tea, going to the gym every single day. And I was almost living like a monk, like I was away from the stuff I would usually do. I thought let's just give this a try it's about three weeks in my life let's go for it I mean if there's a social event on just miss this one it's fine like I used to always be triggered by the external I would have huge I hate this word but FOMO so FOMO I'd, yeah I was go gonna to,
1: mention mm-hmm.
2: I'd go to every single event just because I didn't want to miss out when a lot of them were forgettable a lot of them like I really could have done with missing out on and so I was a bit more it taught me to be a bit more selective with who I spend my time with, what I do, etc. So in the short way of answering your question, which I've not done, is try something different every day and really focus on the small things. For example, if you're struggling with depression, like of course it would be probably silly of me to say that in the first two weeks, if you focus on getting up an hour earlier or drinking a cup of tea a day, like people will think that can't be the magic cure. If you do the small things over and over again, they become the magic cure because they all compile together. So I'd say from me, what I did, which I think really helped was try th- new things, which led me onto to better and bigger things, which were new, like podcasting, and also focus on the small things because they really do matter.
1: I love this. As I always say too on my socials is consistency is key and, uh, even, though, like, trying new things, yeah, it, it's great. And I love how you simplify, like, trying new things is not always, like, oh, moving to another continent or another country. But, like, you know, getting a different type of food that night or going to bed, like, three hours earlier. I think these small new things can also, like, could should also excite people. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, I want to th- try Thai food now or do something. <laughs> Just kidding. But, yeah, I, I really admire that, too. And... The first point is communication. like I just really, really love how you started off with communication too. like trying out things is great, but communicating to your surroundings, what your needs are, it's like setting the boundaries right so um, for people who might struggling or just feel like they are doing too much, sometimes like saying no is is it's really helpful, yeah, so we started off with your story when you were 19 and also being in Vietnam and now we've talked about some of the low. How about we mention some of the highs? So now we're coming back, but now we are shooting up to the sky. Please share with me or with us one of the coolest stories you have in Vietnam or Saigon. I'm pretty sure you have many.
2: I think I have many. None are coming to mind, as you mentioned, the coolest story.
1: Aside from meeting me, obviously.
2: That goes without saying, except for that interview, interview 351, I think. (laughs) That's what it was. My coolest Vietnam story. To be honest with you, I I don't, I usually hate like the funniest or the coolest because I think this has to be incredibly cool. You know, when someone says to you, what's the funniest thing you've ever heard? I always think this is going to be shit. Exactly. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm kind of thinking that now with the coolest, let's niche it a bit. So like cool isn't it?
1: And most memorable, I guess.
2: Most memorable.
1: kind of changed something in you or like. They
2: surprise you. Mm. Most memorable, I I guess I've got one for cool. I kind of have one for cool, quote unquote. And I don't know if this is cool, it was just fun. So I'll just say it. It doesn't really relate to Vietnam specifically. It does actually. It involves Vietnam. Christmas Day, 2019. Okay, Christmas again. I saw your face, Christmas (laughs) fag. The people I was living with, we lived in like an apartment complex. And it was a very... Christmas home away from home, my first Christmas abroad. And so I was a bit nervous about it because, you know, I quite like Christmas, if you're aware. <laughs> and yeah, I was I was loving the whole day. That like we basically just, you know, had a few beers, quote unquote all day, played some music, played some games. And then at midnight, so I think 24 hours after I'd stopped, after I'd started partying, my brother's came. And they were on their way from Manchester, stopped off somewhere, ended up in Ho Chi Minh. So I'd lost my glasses because I used to wear glasses at that point. And I go to the airport with my friend and I literally thought if I I couldn't see them. So I said to my friend, I said, if you see a guy with blonde hair and a guy with ginger hair, it's probably them because I can't see. So I'm just there and people are coming from arrivals. I've not got a scooby-doo, literally clueless. So I just said, if you see a ginger guy and a blonde guy, point them out. It's probably my brothers. And then he went, there's a ginger guy and a blonde guy there after about 20 minutes. So I walked over and it took them until they were about where you are. To me now, and I went. Hey, you're right, guys. So yeah, met my brothers. We then got in the taxi. I bought a crate of beer. We had a party. Went back, carried on, and yeah, I think it was just that moment of like combining a load of things abroad, of like Christmas, my family, friends away, friends home away from home, all together. It was pretty sweet. So that's, that's, that's spring mean. to mind. Spring to mind. I mean, there's many. Mo- there's many more, but I think this one combines a lot of the things that I enjoy. So like family, Christmas, friends, perfect.
1: Yeah. Awesome. First Christmas abroad is always scary for me too. When I was in the States, experiencing Christmas for the first time outside of home, it's kind of scary too, but also weird. Could be lonely, but I'm happy you had, you know, your friends and your glasses lost.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
2: The glasses. Yeah. Thank God I had laser eye. Exactly. That that helped it.
1: All right. that's, That's really fun. And how do you think about, you know, living in Vietnam as an expat? Like, is it fun or how do you find the community here?
2: I think it's fun and I think it is fun and it is wide ranging and it is vast but it's important to try and get out a bit more. Like I realised at certain points I'd be with the same individuals, the same five or six people. I thought There are so many people from all over the world here. I guess I'm lucky with my podcasting that I get to meet all of these characters but there's so much going on. I mean like there's people who do acting, there's people who do comedy nights, there's people who do music nights, there's people who do sport, there's people who go hiking. There's so much like Unlike, for example, your small town at home, you can see so many different groups and communities like really go for it and really try and find them. That's one of the biggest, probably if I had to name the top five things that I've really loved that I've done in Vietnam. So my top five things that I've done that I'm really proud of, it would be immersing with different groups, different people who I otherwise wouldn't mix with. So I think there's such a wide ranging community here in Saigon. You can really find a tribe and you can find so many cool people if you have the courage to
1: that's true and finding courage is is sometimes the scariest part right just suck it up and do it yeah and your podcasting i love again the comeback podcast is talking to a lot of people from almost every like almost all backgrounds but it's still in english so do you have anyone like fully vietnamese coming to the show and talking in english
2: um i've had a few vietnamese uh it's only English speaking, of course, but yeah, I've had some people in Vietnamese here. Yeah, I realized after 90 episodes, that I only had two locals and that's the only time where it's hit me about the the diversity of guests. I thought I need to improve this. So since then, I've had some more Vietnamese guests and I actually had someone we both know on at 12 today, who I will tell you after the show,
1: okay. uh,
2: Vietnamese. And so, yeah, the, yeah, some of them are Toastmasters. So yeah, I've had quite a few Vietnamese guests, which I like. I like sharing that because it's an... Primarily an expat podcast because it's English speaking, but I live in Vietnam. It's important I interview Vietnamese. I remember being in Fuwak after I'd done 70 episodes and I was talking with some of his friends and I spoke to a Japanese lady and said, oh, I've never had a Japanese guest. I've had 15 nationalities, no Japanese. And someone went, how many Vietnamese? I went, oh, that's bad.
1: Not enough. <laughs> I
2: live in Vietnam.
1: Exactly. But that's yeah. cool. And how do you find the culture here in Vietnam compared to England? Wild. Wild right, so
2: different, I mean, if we look outside, the thunder is absolutely crazy.
1: We are not allowed to talk about weather, know. We just kidding It's it's where the holiday later,
2: yeah, so i I basically think Saigon is a very it's a very wild place, but you can find so many different things in terms of the food scene, in terms of the drink scene. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in a good way, so like there's like weird cafes that you wouldn't expect, weird bars, like weird like meetups, and it can all be pretty fun.
1: Yeah, that's true. We actually met on, on the creative Networking for Creatives event, right? Hosted by no other than your main host, Neil McCott. Uh Yeah, it's a great event. I, I've been going through uh, networking events and they're amazing. Like, I also just started networking. And I mean, we just got out from the whole lockdown thing a year ago, right? <clears throat> so, yeah, networking is amazing.
2: Your network is your net worth.
1: Exactly. exactly exactly but i still trying to i don't know it's it's hard to balance right like when it comes to again we mentioned we're going to talk about productivity which is one of my favorite topics to be productive is it's sometimes hard to find a balance between networking and getting things done because like when you go networking find like you meet a lot of people and then there's a potential to grow either in business wise or like your friendships or just your net worth i don't know. Uh, but again, like we also have our work, we have our hobbies and passions. And and for you, you have your podcasting and doing a podcast is is not an easy thing too. So how do you keep all this balance? Like you work as a teacher, you're a podcaster, and you also know a bunch of people through networking. Like how do you do it?
2: I think realizing I can only juggle a certain amount of balls. So for example, I'll have the podcast, I'll have the teaching, I'll have the social side of things and any other hobbies I want to do. And I've not quite got it as, as as good as I would have wanted to, to be honest with you. I think in the next year or so I'll probably work on a bit more balance. But I think I've got it fairly good. I mean I'm I'm not too I'm not too dissatisfied with it. I'd say how I balance it is I know when to say no. Mm-hmm. Where for example, and I mean this in the most polite and positive way possible, if there are people that I'm just not aligned with, like I like, they're perfectly fine. We like each other but we're not aligned and we know that there's nothing really going. It's only meeting up for pleasantries or just, Hey, how are you? Good and small talk. I I say no to a lot of that because I know it doesn't suit me. I've had to like be very selective of where I spend my time. Where, for example, if I'm doing a certain amount of podcasts and working a certain amount of hours teaching classes a week, I only have say seven or eight chips in terms of like hours for socializing. right? And if I spend one of them where I really don't want to, it's a waste of time where I could be doing something else. And I, without falling into the trap of, I need to be perfect with my times. But no, if you actually know, for example, if there's somebody, this often applies in relationships and dating.
1: If, okay, tell me about it.
2: If there's like somebody who you're getting on well with, but you know it's only at like say 20, 30% it's surface level, and you know it's probably not going to get any deeper to the point where you would like to, end it. Because it takes away time from what matters. And I remember seeing like a sand timer, uh, sorry, an hourglass where it's showing the sand of your time ticking away and thinking, yeah, if I waste this time on these small talks and coffee shops that I don't want to be in, eating food that I don't want to eat, spending time with people that it, it just doesn't really work, then just cut it off. So I'm pretty good at now learning when to say no and learning when to leave this, whether this be the party, the job or anything else.
1: That is amazing. Especially when you use the metaphor of like using our time as chips and then allocating them based on what matters to us. I think it's a huge takeaway. Like. Many of us don't realize that time is is, is just passing by. It's never going to stop. And I think you're really great at setting boundaries. Or maybe that was one of the first things you did to come back from all the depression and anxiety episodes, right? And to, to set boundaries and to really know what you want. I think it's, it's really, like, advanced.
2: Yeah, I would say I agree. Like, I think it's important just to know that there doesn't have to be like a big fallout, but if it's not going to work, just set that boundary. And I think like the people that I spent time with are aware of this. That I like to do my creative hobbies. I like to spend time by myself. Like they they generally accept that. And if people don't, if people are more like, oh well, I would rather you do this and this and this because it would benefit me. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't get on board with that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't necessarily think it's selfish, and I don't even think the word selfish is a bad thing. I think you should look out for yourself all the time. So. I think I am pretty good or I have definitely improved. I've definitely improved setting these boundaries. And I also have a, I don't have any too many pet peeves, but I don't like listening to complaining, especially when these complaints are avoidable. So if I'm in a coffee shop and somebody's like, oh, well, I went out with X and she said this, and then we have to go to this on Friday and this, you don't have to. I remember actually saying to someone once, you don't have to, tell them no, but then they will do this, well, tell them no. If you're genuinely going to lose peace of mind, happiness, joy, time from doing it, say no. Yeah, Take the fallout, just say no and don't do it. And oh, well, no, but, but. And then two weeks later, it was the same complaint about the same person. Didn't take my advice, was just complaining for the sake of it. And I can't deal with that. I really can't. So I yeah. set boundaries oh. and learning as a kid.
1: I think that's also one of the red flags when it comes to, like, assessing people around you, right? And, yeah, I learned something new today. I'm also prone to have a pet peeve. I don't want people around me to complain because that kind of affects my mood, too. Like, I start complaining, too. And it's very easy to just start complaining. Yeah, it's a great takeaway. Thanks, Connor. Like, if people complain around you a lot, that's a red flag, everyone. Yeah. Productivity tip, more. more. I want more productivity. I want to see like how is Connor's day look like? Because we only have 24 chips a day. So how do you allocate them?
2: Mm, I look at the most important things first and foremost. So I look at, for example, I have to take care of myself like physically and mentally. So I have to do something to do that. And I can't neglect that in favor of podcasts. So it's almost like I will do them because I know they will benefit me. Then I'll do like my podcasts or my reading or my writing or anything else. So I do wake up quite early to be honest with you. And I don't want to say I'm one of those people who's up at five and stretching and doing that. But I generally get up about six, even on school days, and I'll get that workout in because it's essential. I notice that if I don't like for example, I don't have time is not true. You do have time, it's whether what you make time for. So I will make the time to exercise. I'll make the time for the good diet. I'll make the time for the meditation. And I'll make the time for what matters. So because it, I can be quite strict with it, I'll know what windows I have. So if I want to meet someone and say, if, I know, if I've if i had a busy week and I know next week I need to have like a friendly interaction, I need to have a catch up just to unstress, wind I'll contact people in advance. So I'll be like, hey, Annie, Wednesday 7 p.m. So we know that that's the plan. Yeah. So I, I plan things in advance. They, they don't always go to plan, of course, but I generally try and put it in little blocks where I, at some points... I guess natural with balance, you can overdo it. So sometimes I'll think I'm booked up every hour of this day. What the, (laughs) from say 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. But usually the balance has been okay. I think just planning in advance and knowing what you need. For example, some days I'll really need to do extra cardio because I'll be feeling a bit more lethargic and I'll need to run a bit more or go for a swim or a walk. Some weeks I'll need to get back on it with the podcast because I need that stimulation that it brings for me. Sometimes I'll need more friendly interactions but I've not had it for a while. And I like soaking up interactions and energy with friends. I think just working out what my needs are and really allocating them accordingly.
1: Yeah, I really love how you mentioned that you can plan ahead, but also like stay flexible. Yeah. Because I know many people who want to get on this, like, oh, I'm going to be productive. And then they just like overplan themselves and obviously get disappointed when the plan didn't work out. And uh, I guess my suggestion is like to go slow and, you know, one day you just focus on one highlight and then the, the more you do it, the more things you can plan more efficiently.
2: What I have noticed is I realized this the other day. Say my first year in Vietnam, I'd look at my day and all I'd have was my two classes and the rest of the day was free. And it would be a chore if I had to do one other thing. And this comes from depression and this was the same at uni. Whilst now I'll have 10 different things to do and it's just a cakewalk. And the reason why is because I built it slowly, where I started doing one extra thing a day or, what? So here we go, one extra thing a week and then one a day. So look, really building it in slowly. So right now I can do quite a lot of things in a day and not get daunted or phased, but I built that up gradually. That's true. Over time, yeah. yeah. I, I agree with you on the small steps point.
1: That's true. Small steps because <clears throat> life is not that short. People say life is short. Honestly, I think life is just life, right? Yeah. And... We've talked about productivity and you talked about your writing. And, okay, we are friends, so I kind of know a little bit of, about that, your writing. But to give the audience a bit of a background. So Connor was in journalism and he has a bunch of stories to share. And now he's planning to write a book about it. So we want to hear your book journey. How is it planning out? What? Just tell me about it.
2: Yeah, to be honest with you, I don't want to talk about too much about it, to be honest with you, because it's in the early stages. And I'm still working out exactly when it's going to go and what exactly is going to be put in and how to regulate it. So it is in the process and I am excited for its release. But right now I'm still working out plans around it. So I'll only share certain snippets. A lot of it will be my personal experience, whether that be in Vietnam or at home. But I think it will be, I think to be honest, there's a few plans. And the reason why I'm not talking about too much with you is because I'm still thinking, well, I could do that plan and that plan. And I'm almost in that stage of... I I'm sure there is a phrase for it. You know, when you have loads of plans and it's just about sorting them together. Exactly. I'm in that point. So hmm. I don't want to give too much information because they could change day by day. But it is in the process. And I'm glad you asked me because by my birthday, I should have something really concrete, which is in two and a half months. So.
1: Exactly. August. There we go. August 8th. 11.
2: Thank you, Annie.
1: (laughs) 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 I was always there. Yeah. First of all, as a friend, I asked you publicly about your book. So like I'm manifesting or help you manifest that you will write a book. And, you know, just letting people know that an awesome book is on the way. And one time in a conversation, you mentioned that Saigon can put you in really amazing, but really awful places. I still think about that today. And I want you to share that thought with the audience because it's really cool.
2: Sure. I put it into two categories from what I've seen, from what I've experienced, and from what I've spoken to people about. It's opportunity versus escapism. Where Saigon is huge, it's vast. There are communities from all sorts of different areas all sorts of different passions like public speaking, like networking, like podcasts, comedy, art, sport, etc. So you can go one of two ways, opportunity versus escapism. You can get this opportunity, you can join a public speaking club, you can get involved in sports, you can learn a musical instrument, meet people from all over the world, exchange languages, start podcasts, start businesses, that's all there. There's also escapism and without going into too much detail, There are whole streets of bars, nightclubs, restaurants, parlours, etc. And where you can escape, where you can really just unwind if you're not happy. And so many things are so much more accessible, both in terms of they're on your doorstep and price and the cost of living are right there. That if you want to choose the easy route and the escape, it is literally on your doorstep. And if you're in that mindset where you want to escape from something, like you've left your home country to come to Saigon to escape, you can easily choose that. And that's dangerous. It really is. So having that awareness of what you actually want out of this Vietnam experience and what you really want to gravitate towards is so key because I've seen it over and over again. People have chosen A, opportunity. People have chosen B, escapism. And just seeing how it can develop. I've seen some people really thrive here and some, and I genuinely say this with sadness, go by the wayside, like tragically. And it's it's crazy to watch and you think this city really can be amazing, but it can also be dangerous. You have to be very careful.
1: Yeah. And do you see that in these stories, people are making the conscious choice to go from one way or the other, or is it like consequential?
2: I see a lot of complaining, knowing that there's an issue, but not actually fixing it. We're going back to things we've mentioned before of responsibility and complaining and how we don't like complaining. I've seen people complain about their situation of, oh, I'm bored in Saigon and, this is the same and this is the same. As they're doing it, they're going more down the bad route. And you almost want to say, turn the mirror, realise where you're going wrong, like seriously look deeply and then your issue will subside or you, you'll make the, the first step in the catalyst for the comeback. And sometimes you see them almost ignore it because you know it's going to be too painful for them to actually face the truth that they are the issue. And it's like it's sore. Like, don't get me wrong, when you hold, hold the mirror to you and realise that you're playing a huge role in your own suffering, it is tough. Like It's not easy in any way, stretch or form, but it's essential. It really is, especially when you're on that slope. So I see a lot of people complain and complain and go down that escapism route without realizing that you can come out of it if you make the conscious choice to. And it's just about, I guess, giving more awareness and access to how you can make the conscious choice. I try it with my own podcast, my own platform of how I've managed to come back from my adversity and how others have, but you can't make people make that conscious choice. It has to come from a place of, genuine authenticity. So they have to realise it for themselves. And it's tricky. It really is tricky. Where nobody wants to hear where they're going wrong. Like for example, if there's somebody in a slip on a slippery slope, they don't want you to come over and say, Hey, you you need to do this. They really don't. They have to realise themselves and I just hope that some people do before it's too late.
1: That's true. I love the whole answer. And again, just quoting back is like holding the mirror and then realizing that you are part of your own suffering and you're making it worse. That's like so powerful because it's basically you're taking the power back, right? We tend to say like, oh, because of our parents or because of our upbringing, because of everything else, we are suffering. But if we can kind of like turn around and say like, okay, I have the power, like just take that back and then, you know, just use our power to to make ourselves happier and more productive. Again, that's why I love the comeback show as as well because uh, even though you interview a lot of people but you there's always that one angle where people realize that oh they were suffering and how did they come back i think it's just it's an awesome thing to say
2: excellent yeah no absolutely and i also think that recognizing that you do have the power is the key bit i've seen it happen over and over this even goes to like public media social media of oh it's my mum's fault it's my dad's fault it's my brother's fault it's my friend's fault it's society's fault it's privilege's fault it's the political system's fault it's the government and i'm thinking you've literally blamed everyone about your current situation everyone but yourself you're the the one person who can actually change it you're ignoring and some are genuine i don't know if some are genuinely oblivious like genuinely can't see it and in, in that case i pity them or really no but just want to like completely bury their head in the sand and in that case i wouldn't say like i dislike them but I think but it's, it's not it's a mixture of pity and just despair to be honest with you I just despair with them I think come on you have to do something a lot of things aren't your fault it really isn't your fault for example if you have a depression like I had I say had put that in the past tense <laughs> <laughs> then it's, it's not my fault it is my responsibility how I deal with it it really isn't knowing that like it's so key. otherwise you've got a lot of things that you can like put towards that are the issue and a lot of things that you can not deal with So it's very important just to realise you are the power. You are the power.
1: Yeah. We have all the power to change our lives the way we want it. And Connor showed it with just moving at twenty one, realizing that no responsibility means freedom to choose whatever we want to do. And coming back from bad episodes starts with small steps. And yeah, small steps. I just consistency, responsibility, taking small steps. I think they are like great takeaways from From what you've said before and just before we wrap up this we have some of vietnam podcast questions and you've been living in vietnam for almost three years right and i have a question for you what is that one thing that would recommend to another person to come to vietnam
2: it's a place where you can really discover what you're capable of if you allow it to do so
1: that is very powerful That is super powerful. I agree. Like Saigon is like, just Saigon alone already is like a very vibrant city, bunch of entrepreneurs. And I think the weather allows it too. And the second question is, what is the one thing that would tell your friend not to come to Vietnam?
2: It's not for everyone. So I'd say if you want to come here and forget all of your issues and bury them in whatever substance or whatever method you want to, don't like really think, really seriously think hard about doing so because it's not a good idea.
1: Right. Yeah, talking about escapism, I, I love the phrase escapism here because, yeah, I, I also see a lot of people just coming here and then just trying to mask things up. It's really powerful too. And uh, my third question is, what question do you want to ask the next guest?
2: The next guest will be based in Vietnam, Saigon.
1: Yeah, he's going to be here.
2: Oh, it's a Vietnam podcast. Um, the next guest, I would ask them if they could go back to themselves three months before they came to Saigon, Vietnam, knowing all they know now, what would they tell them?
1: Whoa. Okay. Okay. And before we wrap up, what would you tell yourself? (laughs)
2: Three months before, filming? Exactly. Just do what you really want to do and seriously do it. Where I'll give you the example why I say this. I should have started to come back the day I arrived. And I remember the day I arrived, I had it all like ready. I would have thought, no, let's just settle in first, or let's just do this first. And there was always something I was putting ahead of it, when really now that's like my catalyst for my own personal comeback. Like that's my project. That's my journey. That's my ethos. I should have done it that day, but I wasn't because I was still in that phrase of, oh, let's just, let's just take things slowly and procrastinate. So I would say, just do what you really want to do. Be, unap- as long as it doesn't harm anyone, of course, if it's a business a project, sports team, go for it. Be unapologetic about the process. Really put your heart and soul into it and you might surprise yourself. You really might surprise yourself what you can achieve.
1: That is really true. Amazing. Again, like wrapping up, guys, we've listened to how to come back from adversity and taking it with small steps and to really set your boundaries to know when to say no and what your needs are and what else we've talked about the two situations of coming to Vietnam, whether you can be an opportunist or escapism and consider your hours as a chip where you can allocate your time and be freaking passionate of what you want to do and just go for it. Did I summarize it well?
2: You did. And it's got me thinking, but maybe I should summarize my episodes. I love that.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just like a quick recap. And everyone, we've listened to Connor Kelly from Comeback Podcast. You guys can find him on, where can we find you?
2: We can You can find me on all podcast streaming platforms except for YouTube. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. That's Comeback, Comeback. Uh, the CK at the end is capitalized because it's my name. So you can type in that. You can also type my name in next to it, which is Connor with one N, C-O-N-O-R, Kelly. Then it should come up. Feel free to check it out and hear a lot of these episodes, including number 351, which is your guest host.
1: Anyhuang. Thank you guys for listening and we hope you have a great day from 7 million bytes podcast of Vietnam Podcast. Yay!
0: Thank you for listening to a Vietnam podcast by 7 million bytes. My name is Neil McKay and I'm your regular host. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that I'm taking a break from hosting season nine. I wanted to bring some fresh voices to you. So I have an unbelievable lineup of guest hosts coming to you throughout season nine, interviewing people connected to Vietnam and sharing their story. I want to give a massive thank you to all the members of the 7 Million Bikes community. This podcast wouldn't exist without your support. It means so much to me and it keeps me going and it keeps me producing episodes for you. So Even though I'm taking a break from hosting, I'm still fully here making sure that we have quality episodes every week for you to listen to. If you are interested in joining the 7 Million Bikes community, the link is in the show notes. You can join for as little as $90,000 a month, which is a few bucks. You can stop at any time. You'll get episodes early. You'll get free tickets to comedy shows and quiz nights, and you'll get invites to special member-only events, like our birthday party that we just had, which was only for guests and 7 Million Bikes community members. So if that's something you're interested in, check it out. It really means so much to have your support. We can't produce this show without him. Also, a massive thank you to Garrett McLean, our audio engineer for season nine. Lewis Wright for creating the theme music to a Vietnam podcast which still gets more compliments than the actual podcast itself but I'm not bitter because it is amazing so thank you so much to Lewis for creating that it's an amazing piece of music and also for all the support that Lewis gives technically and with equipment he's another person that this podcast couldn't exist without thank you to everyone that supported in any way and of course a massive special thanks to my wife Adrienne Lopez McKay the number one fan of a Vietnam podcast And who without None of this would be possible So Master, thank you to her And everyone else involved To make this happen So again thank you so much To all of our guests Hosts this season Thank you so much to our guests And thank you to you for listening Enjoy season 9 of A Vietnam podcast I hope you enjoyed this episode from prying eyes whoever they may be join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link nodvpncom forward slash smb just again for those hard of hearing nodvpncom forward slash smb the link is also in the show notes I know nobody checks them out but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast